Believe in yourself, cause it starts with you And then everyone else will believe you too And if it looks like you're the only believer around Just keep on believing, don't put yourself down Just believe Our guest this week grew up in Lake Orion, Michigan and earned a BS in EDD in Educational Leadership and Change Management from Lipscomb University. Since 2011, he's been the head basketball coach at Rochester University, founded in 1959 by members of the Churches of Christ. Rochester is a private Christian college in Rochester Hills, Michigan. He and his dad, Garth, combined have won the second most college basketball games, 1,023 in history. And his name, Coach Clint Pleasant. I'm Jack Rasula, and this is Anything is Possible on 760 WJR. I'm Jack Rasula, this is Anything is Possible, and we're talking to Coach Dr. Clint Pleasant, who's been the head basketball coach at Rochester University since 2011. Coach, welcome and honored to have you. Jack, thanks for having me. I've admired you for years and the show, and it's a blessing to be on. Could you lead us, speaking of a blessing, in an opening prayer this evening? I'd be thrilled. Bow with me. Lord God, we are grateful for the opportunity to be together, and we are grateful for relationships. And we count it a blessing uh, when we can come alongside people and we can help one another to grow, grow in our faith, and grow in our relationships. And we pray that this next hour would be a blessing uh, to the people listening, and we pray a blessing on Jack and the work that he does. In Christ's name, amen. And the upcoming Rochester University basketball season. Please, please, yes. (laughs) Amen. Uh, Let's go back. Let's start your childhood, your mom and your dad, please. Yes. Uh, you know, I'm one of those people that when, when, when folks think about, uh, you know, I have all this trauma from when I was a child, and, and, and I don't mean to minimize that for a moment, but uh, I can't call up a lot of that. I had a great mom and a great dad, and the majority of my memories are nothing but pleasant, and uh, my mom uh, loved me so well, and she was a nurturer, and my dad was one of those dads that always wanted to uh, take me wherever he went. And I grew up um, hearing him say, I don't just want uh, the quantity, but I want the quality. I want, I want both. And so wherever he went, he took me with him. And uh, I have fond memories of, of uh, growing up. And now I'm hoping that I'm being uh, the type of father to my two daughters that, that I felt from my mom and my dad, Garth and Pat. What's the biggest thing you learned from mom? I think from mom, it was the ability to notice and, and see me. Um, you know, my, my mom had to work. Uh, she, was, she was a working woman. She helped, she helped provide for the family. And so uh, while she couldn't be at everything, she was always doing little things on the side to nurture and make me feel noticed and loved. And she was the one writing handwritten notes and always knew what I wanted for Christmas and um, just exuded love and, and knew kind of how to read your mind. And, um, and I cherished that. Your dad, Coach Garth Pleasant, was a basketball coach also at Rochester University. He, you said he took you everywhere you ever wanted. One place he never took you was to a Rochester home basketball game because at the time they didn't have a court. That's but right. But the man won 720 games over 48 years. He won four national championships. 
Um, talk about the legend, Garth Pleasant. Well, didn't you say the show was only an hour? <laughs> uh, that, that'd be hard to do because, you know, they say they broke the mold. And so I think after my dad, they did. He's certainly one of a kind. Um, and now that I am well into my career, this is my 25th year of college coaching. Every year that goes by, my appreciation and admiration for him just continues to grow. Uh, what he did with so few resources at Rochester is truly remarkable. You know, it's hard to win basketball games, period, much less on the road or a neutral site. And he won all those games, uh, and he did it with no home court. And um, now when we look back, I think one of the things that that taught us is, is how to be resilient, how to be tough, how to not make excuses for what you don't have, but instead just leverage and be grateful uh, with what you do have and try to make the best of it. And he certainly made a living at just trying to maximize what he did have. And he instilled really you know, something special in that program where they were able to find a way to win games uh, with no home court advantage. And it's really remarkable. He authored a book, Don't Be Afraid to Stub Your Toe. And he was a coach, a preacher, a husband, a father, a grandpa, a professor, a friend, a storyteller. The acorn doesn't fall far from the tree. Clint, you are a coach, a preacher, a husband, a father, not a grandpa yet, a professor, friend, storyteller. You're a spitting image of the man. <laughs> um, it's tough to replace a legend. It's very tough to replace a legend who's also your dad. Yeah. How have you done it? I was hoping you'd ask that question. Uh, and, I, and I'm going to answer it as honestly as I know how. Uh, hopefully there's no other way to respond. And I never tried to be him. Um, I knew I could make it, um, you know, as Garth's son, but I wanted to make it as Clint not only as Garth's son. And while there are all sorts of things that I hope that I learned from him and gleaned from him, and you know, lo and behold, I actually physically look like him too. So a lot of times people will, will call me Garth from time to time. And you know, while I am unashamedly myself, um, when, when people do that, I find myself you know, not even getting that upset because I do admire my dad and the gifts that, that he gave, and I hope some of those I received. But I've tried very hard uh, to be my own person and to, to, to live into who I am and my giftedness. There are actually a lot of differences with us. And I, I told myself early on, if I try to do this the way my dad did it, I probably will fail miserably because there's only one Garth. And so I lived into the idea and I leaned into the idea that I'm going to be my own person and I'm going to do it um, the way that seems right and natural to me. And luckily, my dad... Um, you know, embrace that and has, 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 has watched that. And I think that's the only way it was able to work is, is to lean into who I am and my own personal giftedness. And, um, my dad did it the way he did it. And in fact, the other day I was speaking and Greg Campy introduced me and almost tears came to my eyes almost instantly when he said, Clint's found a way to be as equally as successful as his dad, doing it a completely different way, doing it his way. And, um, and so that, 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 that's important to me. Again, calling on the gifts that I have from my dad, but also um, not trying to replicate him because th th there's only one Garth. And so that, that would be my quick answer. We're talking to Clint Pleasant, who's also an author. 
He wrote Letters of Advent. And I'm Jack Rasul, and this is Anything is Possible on 760 WJR. Welcome back to Anything is Possible. I'm Jack Rasul, and we're with Dr. Clint Pleasant, who's also a senior VP and special assistant to the president at Rochester University. Wow. All right, you went to Abilene Christian to play college football, and then in 96 to 98, you were at Lipscomb University, and you were a student assistant under another coach, Hall of Fame coach Don Meyer. I was. What what a blessing that was. And and when I when I go through a day, it's rare that I look back at the end of the day and I didn't think about Coach Meyer or I didn't do something or say something that was sort of in direct relation to the impact that he had on my life. Uh, Coach Meyer was larger than life. It was more than just basketball. And a lot of people might not realize that Coach Meyer was the one that everybody flocked to. I mean, Coach John Wooden would ask Coach Meyer questions. Coach Bobby Knight would come visit Coach Meyer. Coach Pat Summit would come visit Coach mm-hmm. Meyer. And for, to be able to sort of live alongside him and coach alongside him and learn from him for two years, now almost being 49 years old, I can tell you it's truly one of the great blessings of my life that I, that I was able to, to work with him and learn from him. He won 923 games. He survived the liver and intestine cancer, and he was awarded the Jimmy V. Perseverance Award at the ESPN ESPYs in 2009. Tall cotton. Okay, so you've got Don Meyer, Garth Pleasant, and in 2011, you become the head basketball coach at Rochester University. Talk about that first season. Well... You know, one one of the things is my, my path was different from my dad's. My dad was always at Rochester, and then I, you know, I, I, I went off and, and took a different path. As you just said, I worked for Coach Meyer, and then I went on and was at Wayne State, Kent State, University of Tennessee, Martin, Abilene Christian. So in that first year, one of the things I tried to do, and we said this earlier in the show, was that I, I wanted to to hone whatever you know, whatever gifts and skills and people that I had learned from along the way and really establish that first year is, yes, th- this program's got my dad's you know thumbprint, fingerprint, DNA all over it, but I want to find a way to, again, live into and lean into to who I am and kind of call from all those experiences. But that first year was really kind of magical because all those years where I had sat next to my dad, either as a, as a little boy um, or when I was older and his assistant for a few years, and then making that um, 12-inch slide to the head coaching chair, in some ways it was almost surreal. And I'll say it like this, Jack. I transitioned to being the head basketball coach and coaching really my heroes because I grew up with my dad's players being my heroes. And then I found myself the coach of my heroes. And so um, I had my dream job in that way. All right. Tell us a little bit about Rochester University. Special place, founded in 1959, and my grandfather was actually one of the founding fathers and then went on to be president for about 10 years. And so we have a lot of family history there. My family was there when the doors opened, before the sidewalks were even down. Of course, we've talked about my dad's legacy there. 
And Rochester is a special place because it cares about the whole student. Uh, we're not trying to be some big, huge, thriving uh, university with tens of thousands of students. We're small. We want to be small. And it's because we think when we're small, we can truly nurture the entire student. And uh, when you're at Rochester, the, the, the hope is that you have a transformative experience, not just in the classroom, but with character building, with skills, with job preparation. And we try to nurture the whole student at Rochester. The whistle that runs the Rochester University basketball team has been in one family for the last 53 years. Let's go back about a year ago. And one of your first games, home games, Greg Campy brought his Oakland University squad to your campus to play you. Your dad was sitting next to you that night. Talk about that game, that experience. Well, that was the surreal. place was loaded, standing room only. It really was uh, complete sellout. And first of all, I would I would be remiss if I didn't say the fact that Coach Campy did that uh, is beyond a classy move. There are just not a lot of NCAA Division One schools that would do something like that. But he's always cared about our university. He's cared about my dad. He's cared about me and I'm grateful for that and so he brought his team over because I think he knew that would be important for our university and the community clearly loved it because the community came out I and mean, we had to turn people away at the door my dad sitting me sitting next to me that night um was uh, was just a dream come true um him you know helping me him being right next to me him kind of holding me back from from referees what uh, was a magical experience. And then the fact that we played Oakland University and we played them tough, I think we were up 12 late in the game. Uh, and then they came back and won by a few. But uh, was just a tremendous experience. Um, and I'm grateful for it. I'll never forget it. It meant a lot, a lot to our university. And the fact that my dad then had the experience to be able to sit next to his son uh, while he's carrying on his legacy, I hope also meant a lot to my dad. We're talking to Coach Clint Pleasant. When we come back, we're going to go back to August 28th, 2005. Changed his life, his whole family's life. And I'm Jack Grisula, and this is Anything is Possible on 760 WJR. This is Anything is Possible. I'm your host, Jack Rasula, and we're with Coach Clint Pleasant. If you want to learn more, www.rochesteru.edu. Clint, let's go back 18 years. August 28th, 2005. Please. August 28, 2005 is one of those days that uh, I'll never forget. And I'll try to do here in just a few minutes what I've done um, from time to time over hours and sometimes even a weekend at different conferences and seminars. But in 2008, my uh, wife called, uh, Rachel called me at work and said, Clint, I've got a splitting headache um, and it's really bad. I think it's impacting my vision. I can't see straight and I just I can I can hardly even function. And so we uh, we went to the emergency room and and they did a CAT scan and. 
um, they weren't really sure what was going on, so they said you need to follow up with a uh, with the doctor, and we need to we need to do some more testing. But the issue with that, Jack, is we had just moved back uh, to Michigan from Texas. I was coaching at Abilene Christian University, and we moved back to Michigan because we just had our first child, Abby. And uh, the president called and said, hey, uh, we had said we wanted to get back closer to family now that we started a family. And the president called and said, why don't you come work at Rochester? You can work with your dad a few years and perhaps take over for him uh, when he retires uh, from coaching. And so we did that. We'd only lived in Michigan for a few weeks at the time, lived in Oxford. And so we scrambled around. We found a primary care doctor and she ordered an MRI and we we did the MRI, and on the way back from the MRI facility, I got a call on my cell phone before we even arrived home, and the doctor said, you need to turn around, head back to the hospital. We put a stat on that MRI, and uh, Rachel, your wife's got a golf ball size uh, brain tumor. And, um, you know, if, if you've ever heard that news, you know, you just get shook. And um, so we went back to the hospital, and I remember Jack, Ra- Rachel asking me, what, what was the phone call about? And I said, I- I'm not sure. There's a, there was some kind of complication with the, I couldn't even get myself to say tumor to her. I said, some sort of complication. We need to go, we need to go to the hospital. And so we did, they called in a neurosurgeon and he looked at the films and said, you have this, you have this tumor here and we're going to need to take this out. He said, I'm not sure if it's malignant or not. And, uh, but we need to take it out quickly. And so he scheduled surgery for a week or so out. And we went home that night and um, we cried all night long. Um, So the next few days we did our best to function. And there was a day that I came home from work a little early to check on Rachel. And I walked upstairs and I found Rachel laying um, in uh, the bed, completely unresponsive. Um, And I, I thought, I didn't think she was living. And so I went and checked on her and again, no, no response. And so I called 911, uh, the ambulance showed up uh, to get her. And I asked if I could ride in the ambulance. And so I got in the passenger side and they said, where do you want to go? And I said, well, let's go to a, let's go to Crittenden. Uh, now it's Ascension, Rochester Hills. At the time it was called Crittenden. And so we went there uh, because that's where uh, all the people that love me and my family, that's, that's where they are. And so we went there and they did their best to take care of her, but they knew something was, was really wrong. Uh, Rachel was just kind of in and out of consciousness, in and out of life. And the emergency room doctor was relaying information to me that Clint, she needs to uh, have a procedure done on her brain immediately, but we don't do that here. And so they were trying to transfer her to Henry Ford Hospital. Um, cause the doctor that was going to perform the surgery, was a neurosurgeon that worked out of Henry Ford. And so they finally got us transferred, uh, several hours later, it was in the middle of the night at this point, And we're, the ambulance is driving down from Rochester Hills to Henry Ford. My brother and one of my closest friends is following the ambulance in the car. Uh, I'm, I'm in the ambulance up front. And at one point the nurse sticks her head through the little cubby hole and says, we really need to step on it at this rate. She's going to be DOA, uh, dead on arrival. And so you can imagine, Jack, my mind is just swirling at this point. And so we get to Henry Ford and, and I get out and greet the nurse. And I ask the nurse if she's alive and she says, just barely. And they cart her into the elevator and we get up to floor six at Henry Ford and they start working very quickly. 
And a neurosurgeon comes over to me in the lobby and he sticks a piece of paper in front of me and says, you need to sign this. Uh, we need to do emergency surgery. And then he looks at me and says, uh, I do, I do not, uh, think there's a good chance she's going to survive this surgery because the tumor has grown so quickly and she's had what's called a midline brain shift, so much swelling in her head that her brain had shifted and is actually being pulled down her spine. And he said, it's, it's unlikely she survives the surgery. So I'm going to give you a minute to, to tell her goodbye. And so I did that and they carted her into the um, elevator. And the last thing I remember is the elevator door shutting and me seeing the bottom of her feet, thinking that would be the last time I'd ever see her alive. And so they worked on her for several hours. They ended up removing uh, about 50% of her skull, removed the tumor. Um, and then at some point they came out to me uh, to let me know that the surgery was over. And the doctor said, Clint, um, it wasn't a malignant tumor. We thought it was, but when we got in there, we discovered it wasn't. It was an infection that was growing so quickly and there was so much swelling, so much trauma. And he said, we, we have no idea if she'll wake up from surgery. And if she does, um, it's likely that she'll be in some sort of vegetative state. Uh, he said, you can go see her here in a little bit. And um, perhaps an hour or so went by and I went back to see her. And I leaned down and I whispered that I loved her. And she whispers back, I love you too. And so it seemed... Uh, like a real miraculous situation and we were all you know euphoric and uh, all sorts of details uh, went on from there her ice her, her brain uh, skull stayed on ice at Henry Ford for about six months she came home with a hockey helmet and a pick line and with all sorts of therapy and she's had uh, a, a real challenge, um, as you can imagine, the last 18 years, sort of sort of building back. And then she ended up going in for a heart surgery to repair a hole in her heart. So it's been quite the journey. Um, I'm just giving a couple, a couple details of it. But to say that it shifted our priorities and has kind of kind of realigned the way we think and the way we do life would be a complete understatement. We're taping this in the Golden Tower of the Fisher Building. And Clint, as you look out... One block away, 18 years later, is Henry Ford Hospital. What's your thoughts? Well, I'm grateful. I'm grateful that, that Rachel is alive. And, um, you know, I have so many memories in that building as I'm looking at it right now. So many memories. And uh, I'm grateful for the doctors that are skilled. Um, I'm grateful that we have that kind of medical care in this area. And, um, and the way that they took care of her and the way they treated her was... Was a, was a real blessing. But, you know, 18 years later, there are still a lot of things that we're negotiating and navigating. And sometimes I drive by that building and I'm full of gratitude. And sometimes I drive that build, drive past that building and I'm still still pretty confused. And, um, and so you just do the best you can. Um, and, uh, but I appreciate you asking me to retell the story. We're talking to Clint Pleasant. Clint, what helped you get through this? I thought a lot about that, uh, and I, I think three things, Jack. The first thing is is uh, is my faith, and I don't mean that to sound glib, um, but it is interesting when 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 your your faith can exist sort of theoretically, but then you get faced with something where your you, your faith has to go into action too, and it has to be more practice. It has to be real, and I remember there was a time at Henry Ford where 
when we didn't know if Rachel was going to live or not. And I so badly wanted a prayer to come from my heart and, and no prayer came from my heart, but a prayer came from my head. And, you know, and, and you think back all those times, you know, that you, that you were mentored by somebody or you read something that touched you spiritually, or you grew up going to church or something like that. And then you have a moment where something like that kicks in and makes a difference. And then the second thing is my family. We've talked about my family already, but my mom and dad found themselves having to parent me while I was well into my thirties. And it just reminds you that you never stopped being a parent. And I remember really just kind of, kind of hanging on to every word that my mom and dad would say in terms of advice or in terms of, you know, you're strong enough, we're going to be able to do this. And then the last thing would, Jack would be friends. And so, you know, and I know it's all F's and, but it's, 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 it's faith, it's family and it's friends. And I've got two friends, uh, Jack, that when this happened, one of them was my old college teammate who actually originally played at Boise State, and then he transferred to Abilene Christian, and we were the best of friends. And when this happened, he was living in Seattle, and he went to the SeaTac airport, and he said, here's my credit card. How quick can you get me to Detroit? And he came and sat with me, and I have another friend. Uh, and he was in Nashville and he went to the Nashville airport and said, here's my credit card. How quick can you get me to Detroit? And both those guys came and they sat with me. And even as I tell you this story now, I think back to myself, how in the world did I get such good friends? And they said, um, we're not going to let you do this alone. We're here for you. It's going to be hard. And so faith and family and friends, and I, I don't think I'd be sitting in this studio talking to you without, without those three things. We're talking to Clint Pleasant. And as I mentioned before, his dad, Garth Pleasant, wrote a book, Don't Be Afraid to Stub Your Toe. It has 17 chapters, Clint. The title of the last chapter, God Works All Through the Night, God's Presence in Dark Moments. Your thoughts? Well, I grew up hearing my dad emphasize that. And my dad talked about that at his dad's funeral. And he said, you know, things, things can get hard and things will get hard. And when they do, you know, we know that God never stops working. And perhaps when we are at our lowest moment, and sometimes that happens, seems to sometimes happen at nighttime. <laughs> and when that happens, um, God is not resting. God is not sleeping. God is always on duty and, and God is there and he's caring. And, um, being able to lean in on even my dad's faith um, was, was very helpful to me in that moment. And just being able to know that, um, that I serve a God that uh, is never going to leave you, never going to forsake you. And he doesn't promise that your life is going to be without pain or trauma. But what he does promise is that in the midst of pain and trauma, he will be there with you. We're talking to Clint Pleasant. If you want to learn more, www.rochesteru.edu And I'm Jack Rasul and this is Anything is Possible on 760 WJR. Jack Rasula, host of WJR's Anything is Possible, the weekly radio visit brings his 15 years of inspirational storytelling to hardcover. With God, anything is possible. Anything is possible. 15 of Jack's more than 750 tales of defeating odds and achieving the extraordinary. 
like Bob Woodruff, whose job covering the war in Iraq nearly cost him his life, and Nick Vujicic, the limbless evangelist who has stunned millions with his message of acceptance and grace. With God, anything is possible. Order now while signed copies are still available at trustinusllc.square.site. That's trustinusllc.square.site. And as Jack says, Make it a great week because with God, anything is possible. Spohol. Anything is possible. I'm Jack Crisola. This is Anything is Possible. We're talking to Dr. Slash Coach Slash Senior VP and Special Assistant to the President, Clint Pleasant. Clint, phenomenal story last segment. Let's go back to that August 28, 2005. And God says to you, Clint, this is what's going to, this is what Rachel's going to go through. I'll give you a choice. If you want, magically I won't have her have the tumor. Clint, what do you want me to do? What would you tell God now? That's something I thought a lot about, and my knee-jerk reaction in some ways wants to be, well, of course I wouldn't want this. Of course I would, I would want to avoid this situation. But now that I've got 18 years under my belt and I look back in a rearview mirror, what, what I really want to say is, is no, bring it on. Um, because what happens is the things that you learn from something like this really end up shaping uh, who, who you ultimately are and who you ultimately want to be. And sometimes it's something like a crisis or it's some sort of trauma or it's some sort of hard thing that ends up shaping you into the person maybe that you've always wanted to, to be. And so in some ways, crisis and trauma can be a great teacher. And so, 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 so while I want to in some ways say, well, heavens, no, I don't want this. I think if I had the choice to turn the clock back, I probably would not. And that's my answer. That's just my personal answer. Other, others perhaps would answer another way. But I look back at all the things that I've learned about myself and, and the growth that's taken place. And in that way, I wouldn't turn the clock back. Speaking of others, if there's a couple tonight that's listening, that's going through what Rachel and you went through and endured, with a lot of doubts, fears, what would you tell them, Clint? The first thing I'd want to do is just sit with them. <laughs> Sometimes I don't, I don't think words help. I'd, I'd want, I would want to sit with them and know that I'm there. Uh, but, but when it comes time for words, uh, I, I think I'd want to say some things uh, like this. Uh, you're getting ready to learn a lot about yourself. And if you can somehow see this as... Um, and I'm going, to use, I'm going to use this phrase, Jack. If you can somehow see this as a terrible gift, what's getting ready to happen is terrible. But in some ways, it's also a gift because it's going to give you insight into yourself that you would have never had before. And you're going to learn things about yourself. You're going to learn uh, how to negotiate hard things. And when you come out on the other side of that, uh, um, you're going to put muscle in your faith. And, and so in some ways, it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to grow. It's an opportunity to learn. And I would also say it's an opportunity to really hone in and focus on what really matters and what 
is really important. And that's the precious relationships we have. Um, it's not the material things, you know, um, I'm not trying to be the richest person in the cemetery. I've never seen a hearse carrying a U-Haul. Uh, so you get that terrible gift now of knowing what's really important. And what's really important is that you have a relationship and you can focus on that. And again, I would say you're getting ready to learn things about yourself that you would have otherwise never been able to learn. And I think about these virtues, Jack, I think about virtues like courage. We all aspire to courage. Who doesn't? But how can you ever practice being courageous if you're never scared? You have to be scared in order to work on being courageous. Or I think about something like patience. We all aspire to be more patient, but how can you ever work on being patient and practice that if there's never a situation that calls for it in the first place? Or something like long suffering or resiliency or compassion. I mean, these are things we aspire to, but you only get to work on those things and exercise those things in the midst of something hard. So I would look at that couple and say, fasten your seatbelt, It's not going to be fun, but it is going to provide like an incubator of sorts for you to actually work on and hone on these things that you've always said you, that matter to you. Um, And at the end of the day, know that all you have is the love that that you hold for one another. Speaking of relationships, Rachel and you had a little three-month-old Abby when this happened. Three years later, Julia. When we had lunch a month or two ago, one of the proudest things you've ever experienced in your life was Abby had to write an essay to get into Pepperdine University in Southern California, $90,000 a year, I believe, tuition. Uh, the vast majority of that's on a scholarship. But her essay was about the love of my dad. Mm. Talk about that experience. Well, even as you say that, it's obviously it's an emotional experience. Um, you know, all you want to do is you want to you you want to try to be a good parent, and you want to try to pass on the love to your children that that you received and that you experienced from your parents. And I've tried to do that. Because of our situation, um, there were times where I had to be the mom and the dad, and that's that's that that's not to disparage uh, all the incredible things that 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 Rachel did and is doing as a mother. But but it, our relationship did take on a different form and a different shape, and to be able to see Abby reflect on that and to kind of hold on to some of that goodness that she felt like she received and then to be able to articulate it, to be able to write about it and to be able to say, you know, I did experience love. I did experience nurturing and I experienced something that was hard and difficult, but we took that as a family and we tried to turn it to something good and to see an 18 year old, someone just moving into adulthood to be able to think of it like that and process it like that is really heartwarming. And um, it, it, it's, it, I receive that as a good gift. And I hope that that's something that Abby will remember uh, when she's older, um, if she ever is having to deal with something really hard, uh, that she can call on those, those moments of love um, and peace that she, that she hope, hopefully received from her family and be able to pass those on to others. We're talking to Coach Clint Pleasant. If you want to learn more, www.rochesteru.com. EDU. If there's a guy listening tonight who's abandoned his daughter or son, 
and he's listening, say, wow. What would you tell that man? I would want him to rethink that. And I would want him to think that maybe one of the only things you have in life is being able to pass on uh, love and pass on goodness to, to somebody else. And no matter what the trauma is, and if that story is out there tonight, Jack, I can't imagine the trauma behind it. And I don't pretend one moment to, 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 to understand someone's hurt at that level. But what I do know is that every day provides an opportunity to try to recalibrate and to try to do the right thing. And to think that you could turn and that you could make a decision, because that's the thing at the end of the day, I mean, we do control our actions and we control the decisions that we make. And to think that you have the power in your hands to turn and to make a decision and to extend love and even forgiveness if you need to toward another human being. And that power could maybe change the trajectory of someone's life. The fact that we have that power as human beings in our hands is is really something, and it's it's something not to be taken lightly. And I would encourage that person to dig down and to think about the power that they have if they extend love and forgiveness uh, to a little one. As our time winds down together this evening, would you lead us in a closing prayer? Be happy to. Lord God, as we've talked about hard things, uh, we know that... Um, sometimes it doesn't make it any easier and none of us are promised a perfect day. None of us are promised a perfect life. But one thing that we are promised is that you'll never leave us. You'll never forsake us. And surely we, we have someone that we can turn to. We have a friend or a family member and something that we can lean in on. And we pray that we would be able to do that. And when it happens, we, we, we ask that we would be so filled with your spirit that just our presence with other people would become ministry. Thank you for loving us. In Christ's name, amen. And Heavenly Father, thank you for the entire Pleasant family. And thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Please join us next Saturday. Until then, I'm Jack Rasula. Thanks for listening. And make it a great week, because with God, anything is possible. Believe in yourself.